Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, I'm pleasing him in all respects, I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. Me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said amen. amen. I said amen. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Can I greet somebody on your left and your right side? The person, wisdom is your portion in the name of Jesus. Tell the person, wisdom is your portion in the name of Jesus. All right, the Lord is good. Now let's open our Bibles again to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, which we read last time. We're looking at um, wanted. That's what I titled the message the last time. And we're saying, what does God want? Last time when I was finishing, I explained that God wants, God is lacking people. And it happens a lot of times that God will look for people and they will not have enough people to use for what he wants to do. Let us read this book of Isaiah chapter 6 again. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood before him, each having six wings, and with two, he said, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another say, and said, Holy, holy, is a lot of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And for time's sake, I am going to jump a few verses. Verse 5, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin, he said, is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And I gave him an assignment in verse 9, Go and tell these people, Go on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of these people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Now, we're not talking about the details of Isaiah's assignment. We're not talking about that at all. We want to just bring out the principle on the fact that, that is about the fact that God needs people. God sends people. Anytime God wants to do something, he must have somebody he wants to use. That's important. He must have somebody. He always works with people. He always works through people. God does not just do things by himself in the heavens. He says, surely the Lord God does nothing until he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. 
Now, there's a number of reasons, all right? There are a number of reasons why he needs to do that. One is um, the prophets must prophesy. But what I just want to emphasize is that God always looks for people. And I'm saying again, I'm convinced of it in this generation. That's why I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to teach on this season that the people are seriously lacking. People are seriously lacking. Let me emphasize towards again. You know, last time we talked, okay, one of our Tuesday meetings, we talked about the devil again and explained that the, what he can't do and what he can do. In the same manner, I want to say something about God, all right? I want to just emphasize some things about the way he works. You know, we kind of look at him as if he can do anything he wants to do anytime. It is not really like that. Not because, now this is not taking away from his power or saying that he is not who he is. It's just the way he has done it. Anytime he wants to do something he, on this our earth, he has set it in such a manner that he requires people. The reason I think is because he says the heavens are the heavens of the Lord. The earth he, he by himself, has given. He gave it, you understand, to the sons of men. So when he wants to do something, no matter how much I love you, no matter how much I want to do something, assuming you have a car, which I gave to you, but that was like last year. Do you follow? And then the car is having a fault. I can't repair it without asking your consent. It, it's not just not possible. Yeah, I can't do anything. Even if I was the one that paid for a house for you, you didn't have a house, I rented one, paid for three years, and you packed in. Six months later, I discovered the roof is leaking. I will not climb that roof in your absence. I won't climb that roof in your absence. I'm going to call you and let you know that I was informed that that roof is leaking. We are sorry that we got to a house that the roof is leaking. When will you have time to leave the doors open for us to come in and fix the roof? You have to, I mean, we, have, we must take permission from you. And that's how God does it. So that, that's, that's one reason why I believe that he does that. Is because he said the earth he has given, bear that in mind, the earth he has given. He has given to the sons of men. So if he wants to do anything on this earth, he requires us. Now, I'm not trying to teach that again. I just want to bring forth to us again the sense of responsibility. Now, somebody says something. Now, please. That even Duka and I were driving. We're coming from, um, we're coming from somewhere. And he said something, I think it was Sudoka that said it. <laughs> that somebody said that, uh, are you going abroad? <laughs> and he said, nobody who listens to Pastor Baggy goes abroad. <laughs> I said, my father, that is not so. <laughs> that was the answer I gave somebody. Said, Me? Go where? <laughs> Do you know who I listen to? <laughs> that is relocate abroad. That's what, what he was trying to say. <laughs> So, Nduka said that in that day, and I laughed to myself. I began. Well, I, it made me pray about some things, actually. Now, first of all, that is not 100% like that, okay? If you want to go somewhere, you can go anywhere. What I preach, which is why it's like that, is believers are never economic refugees. We never go anywhere looking for a better life. We are too important for that. I don't know whether you're getting my point. We are too important for that. We don't depart from where we are needed to where there's food. We don't behave like that. That's what I preach. That's what I preach. I mean, there was one brother I saw the other day. One of the things I say like about him, I, when I tell people about him, I say, this guy is a missionary. And he doesn't do missions in, in you know, I, I know missionaries within Nigeria, but he does his own in West Africa. You understand? So he lives currently in some of these Francophone countries. That's abroad, isn't it? Yeah, it's away from his own native country. And if you have a mentality, so, you see, let me tell you something about it. The issue is how you reason. Anyway, let me sit on that now. 
Let me say what led to it, why I began this. So one brother was now talking the other day. And that's one of what one of his friends said. Now, I recognize that not only Nigerians think what I'm saying, so I have to try and de-emphasize Nigeria, but I live in Nigeria, so I have to use that as my example. So his friend, he and his friend were talking, and this guy had been to school abroad, been to one of the best schools in the world in the United States, okay? And the guy is done and is back in, to Nigeria. So he asked him, he said, ah, with all of these opportunities you have and stuff, are you not going abroad? Are you not no, relocating to North America? That guy said no. He said, why not? He said, let those who have nothing to offer Nigeria go. Now, when he, I, I've, has, I've said different ways, I've, but that statement hit me. He said, if you have nothing to offer, please go ahead. That is, we have something to offer. Because of what we have to offer, you understand, we need to stay. We're not saying it's easy. We're just saying that we carry a substance with which we will touch some things around. And there are so many things to touch that it is pure unfaithfulness for you to be looking for where there is nothing to touch apart from your stomach. That's what I preach. The other day I had to talk to some lawyers. Something led to it. They needed my expert, um, uh, what do you call that thing? Yes, okay. Expert opinion, but anyway, but I needed to, evidence, I think it's evidence. Okay, I needed to help them with evidence, do a deposition and all of that. So, we're talking about some things. You know, I, I know about the health sector. All right? And I know how the legal sector affects some of us a little bit. But when you analyze for me the amount of problems they have in the legal sector, I realize that there is a lot of work to do. And I, what I'm preaching, which is why people say that I, I talk the way I do, you know, is this. I am saying that each of those things, for, let me give an example now. He just said that part of the problems they have is that courts are congested, okay? That the, the judges are overloaded with work. They still have to write in this you know, generation. I now say something, and the police don't even help matters. If they don't know what to do with the case, they charge it to court. That's the one he said it to me now. Let me just say something. That's just one area. I know problems to solve with road safety. And sometimes I get angry when I see road safety man telling me to stop because I want to check whether I have a fire extinguisher. And I'll look at him like, look at me. Do you know the number of children I take care of? If this car catches fire, do I look like I plan to quench it? I always say them, I say, do you, you think I will fight this fire? You don't understand the value of my life. <laughs> if it catches fire, I step back. If there is life, there is hope. So that is good. And that's not, that's not part of our message. I'm just trying to tell you what somebody said, okay? So, this point I'm trying to make, that so when you look at it, there are so many things, all right, to do. There are so many the other day, I, there's a documentary about um, Elon Musk I found on my computer. It's been there for a long time. I didn't even know when it got there. But, and as I had to watch it, now I'm not talking about Elon Musk now and all of that. But what I want to bring out is that I watched the way, I, now I didn't know much about Elon Musk. It was not a big name. But I knew when SpaceX was starting, and it was a big deal, you know, in, that, in, the, in, the, in the news that time. I knew about it. I didn't know who Elon Musk was. But this time around, SpaceX had happened, um, Tesla had happened, this, when this documentary was made. And I was now watching what made those things happen. And I realized something. That one man just believed in some things and decided to pursue it. 
Alright? He decided to pursue those things. And everything he pursued, he put his energy, put his money into those things. And then we began to see things develop. Now, what I'm bringing out here is this. Anytime God wants to do something, he always puts the spirit of it needs to be done inside somebody. That's what he does. He always puts that spirit of it must be done inside somebody. And the person starts pursuing it. Now, what am I saying here? That is God, anytime he wants to bless his sense people, that's the way he does. That is the way he does. There's no other way. Which means that, you know, I quoted the, 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 the one way we read last time. I mean, the story that was going around. That a man went to a hospital to pray for a sick man whose heart was very bad. All right? And he said that I have come not to pray, but I have come as an answer to prayer. I am the answer that God has sent. Yeah, he said a prayer, okay? But what he was saying to them is that you've been praying. Now I have come to deliver the answer. And he placed his hand on the person and said, Lord, give him a new heart. And somebody whose heart has completely failed, all right, recovered because God listened to what he said. And Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that is demand in his name, and that thing was done. Now, the man needed to be present for that miracle to be done. That's just the way it is because the faith of those other people couldn't bring that miracle in directly. That's the way it works, all right? Um, Cornelius, he needed salvation. He had been praying. He had been giving alms and been doing everything. And God said, this is a good man that needs salvation. So what are we going to do? We will send him Peter. Do you follow my point? That is, for his people to have salvation, somebody must be sent. That's what we are saying. And what I teach, so that you understand me, is that I'm saying that every child of God is the answer to somebody's prayer. Every child of God is the answer to a desire of God. That when God wants to release something to the earth, what he does is to bring somebody. That's just what he does. The other time we studied the book of Genesis and looked at the life of Abraham extensively. And we said Abraham existed for one reason. Why God even allowed him to go through the trial he had with him and Sarah all those years was because Abraham needed to learn faith. Abraham needed to learn faith. Listen to me, Abraham needed to learn faith. And it was crucial he went through his experiences to learn faith. If he did not have those experiences, he would not have learned faith. And if he did not learn that level of faith, Jesus would have been delayed in coming. I mean when I say delayed, because what God will do is to wait to look for somebody else again. And I'm convinced, well, don't, don't let me say like that as 100% certain. But let me say it's possible. It's possible Abraham was not the first, but we all experienced a delay because the person he called before Abraham did not do or did not go to the extent that God wanted him to go to. That's just the way it works. That's the way it works. The life of Abraham today is not the kind of car he drove. Of course, there were no cars those days, but we don't know the color of this horse. Whether it, yeah, maybe he had a white horse, a black horse, a yellow horse, a brown horse, and how many drew his carriage, we have no idea. But what we know about Abraham is that he's the father of faith, he's the friend of God, and without him or somebody who will have taken that place, Jesus would not have come. And that's the way it was. He said, God promised. I know when God promises, he starts engineering events to bring to pass the fulfillment of his promise. And until those events are engineered, that promise will remain hanging. That is the way it works. Can you even imagine that when Jesus was coming, there was even a woman, young woman, he married, she married. And then one day her husband died. And then God poured the spirit of the intercessor upon her. The spirit of intercessor. And it's possible that that man would have been a hindrance to the manifestation of that spirit. So God took him out of the way, poured that spirit of intercession upon this woman, and the woman began to guide Mary in prayer. She didn't know who Mary was. He began to guide a lot of people. And she was guiding even the men who came from far to come and see Jesus. She guided them you know, with her prayers, not knowing who they were. 
until Jesus was born. The coming of Jesus was not spontaneous. People had to work on it. Each person has a part to play. So somebody may not know exactly what he's doing, but God needs the fellow's work. Listen, God has an eternal plan. He has a, he has a big plan, a master plan. And each person fits somewhere inside that plan. That's what I preach to people. Christians, bear it in mind. You are, listen, it's like a major construction is about to be done. You have been sent, okay, we want to build a second Niger bridge, all right? Or a third Niger bridge, whatever it is, that will now send you to that place, okay? We didn't say, look, going to a nature market to go and buy things is not a problem, but that's not why we sent you to a nature. Are you getting my point? You are supposed to be maybe an underwater welder. People like you are not many in this world. You are not plenty. You don't abandon underwater welding to go and see where they are selling shoes, all right? Because the kind of shoes you always wanted, you didn't know you could get them this cheap. They now sit down there morning, afternoon, and night. This is the mentality. If I don't do my underwater welding, that second Niger bridge will not be built. That's what God is saying. And he's saying like this, that listen, I train you. Please get this point. I invest resources. I invest energy, spiritual energy. Listen, you know one thing that Jesus said concerning how Solomon was dressed? He said Solomon, in all of his glory, was not as well arrayed as one of the flowers of the field. What does that mean? The amount of energy God puts into dressing the flower for 24 hours is much more than the cost of what Solomon wears. Now, that's just a flower. That's just a flower. The flower does not think. You understand? The flower does not reason, but just one piece of biological uh, membrane, a few of them together. Now think about you, a human being. Jesus compared you with the flowers, the grass of the field. He compared you with um, and the birds of the air. Now we'll step a bit. You see the birds of the air, they are also there. They are much more complicated than those flowers. And God says that you are of more, much more value than them. Do you follow my point here? So if you think about the amount of... I, I try to bring it down to material thing now, using the cost of Solomon's um, kingly robe, all right, with the cost of sustaining a flower for 24 hours. 24 hours, please get the point, 24 hours. Solomon's robe can last till archaeologists find it 3,000 years later. The gold does not decompose. The gold on his head does not decompose. So all of that put together is less than the cost of sustaining a flower for 24 hours. So imagine what it is to sustain the, sustain the sparrow. Then I imagine we, which are more, who are more valuable than all of these things. Imagine what it costs to bring you to a particular level. What am I trying to say? God has invested in you. He has invested. He has invested. He has invested. He has invested. Listen, look, I'm the preacher, so let me use myself as an example. There are times I look over my life, okay, and I can see God's investments. I can see them. Now, I'll give you a few examples. Of course, well, we know we went to school, we ate, we know all of that. But twice I remember I almost got killed by cars. Twice. In one, we just finished my secondary school into house sports and I was coming back home from school. And of course, you know, where we lived then, there was a fence. You stop opposite the road. But, you know, our neighbor, you know, the neighborhood children. So they were upstairs and watching out for those of us returning. So as I came down from the bus, I saw them. So in out of excitement, you know, I don't know, I didn't think about it. I went across the road. Phew. And these buses were doing brisk business because there was a lot of traffic. People were moving out from our school. You know, I don't know about, do they still do entire sports in secondary schools these days? Those days for us, those were big events. You looked forward to it like Olympics. So, you know, you're just coming out, you know, I still remember the name of my house, Bishop House. That's, that was the one. And then 
I, w- I just ran across, and these buses were, you know, so many people moving, so they were quickly rushing to go and drop passengers and return, go and pick more. You know the way it is? That's why I just ran into this one. He missed me by, if that thing, in fact, let's not, let's not measure it in, in distance. Let's measure it in time by less than half a second. Because I ran into the road, and I eventually ran into the bus. It was going full speed, boom, like that. So close was I, I could not stop. I had to complete running. I don't know, are you getting my point? That's one of those experiences. Listen, it was said concerning Esther that God brought you to the palace for such a time as this. That preservation was for a reason. And listen, believers, that's how we reason. What is the reason why I am preserved? Jesus said it. Will I say, Father, deliver me from this hour? And what hour was he talking about? Going to the cross, being punished. Some of us, you know, the only thing we are supposed to suffer is that you won't drive a car. That's all. Nobody's crucifying you. Nobody's hanging you on the cross. Nobody's stripping you naked. But you're so obsessed with something that cannot run, that will not last for more than a few years. Jesus said, will I say, Father, deliver me from this hour. He said, I can't pray that prayer. Listen, there are things sometimes I, sometimes I desire in my heart for certain reasons. When I, it still happened to me this afternoon, as I was leaving the house, I still remember at the point in time I wanted to, you know, I was, there are some things I've been praying about. I said, Lord, please don't grant this thing if it will be a hindrance. Because if you harass the Lord enough, he gives you what you're harassing him about. That is not everything you even pray for. It is not. When you want to pray, you have to reason. If you are not sure, you ask the Lord, please. Let it not be that what I'm asking you for will prevent me from being what you created me to be. You sent me to that nature we're talking about where a bridge is about to be built. Train me over the years to be an underwater welder. And I'm so busy looking for shoes and clothes. And then, and I found out the boys in the market. And look, some of those boys are turning over two million a day. What am I doing here? Welding under the water. That's our reason. Then we'll go and take a shop in the market. Abandon underwater welding for which we have been trained extensively. That's what I'm saying. God loses resources a lot of times. God invests in people, invests in people, invests in people. At the end of the day, Demas will depart from him. Why? He fell in love with this present world. That's what I preach to people. That listen, this life, we are more important than that. We are just too important. When I began to teach the word of God, way of success on radio, that's what we are calling the radio program that time, the way of success, but... When we came back to radio, you know, that radio station went down because of all those issues, political issues that time. And then when we came back on radio again, I changed the name from Way of Success because, because it was Way of Success. People thought I was doing motivational speaking. So I said, don't confuse things. I'm a Bible teacher. So we now change it to Secrets and Truths of the Kingdom of God. Get it like that, you know? Barbarian, you know that kind of thing. That's the way I'm telling you. <laughs> that is... <laughs> Uh, that is, uh, it's not about, um, uh, success, succeed. Uh, you know, what, when I said the way of success, I wanted people to understand true success. It's not how to make money. No. How to succeed in truth. Okay? Now, those are what we're teaching, of course, when we went on radio. I got a lot of testimonies. I remember OKD, our guy at uh, Cosmo FM that time. He, he told me about one young girl in their neighborhood. Who was just telling me things, you know, that I didn't know. 
that in their house is a lot of noise that he has noticed that girl. Once it is 7.30 on Thursdays, 6.30 on Mondays, that she has left the house, she has come outside with one small radio and sit down there, that that young lady does not miss that thing for anything. He was just telling me that to encourage me. The day I met the guy, you know, he's not a general manager of one of the radio stations that we still use, not in Enugu now, you know, in Aban now currently, okay? The first day I met him, now I just went into the compound of the radio station that time. I heard his voice. So I said, well, I recognize his voice. Almost all the time, he'll be the one to you know, announce our program. So I just went up to him. I said, ah, hello, ah, how now? You're the one that presents our program, that kind of thing. So he looked at me like, as if like, who you be? That kind of thing. So I said, oh, sorry, I'm Pastor Banky. That reaction, I can never forget it. He went into a spasm. Now listen to me, he had a pack of basin and hedges and a box of matches in the left hand. But when he heard the name, the guy went into a spasm, knelt down, took my hand, I can't remember whether he kissed it, on his knees, an adult man. See, one day I went to um, Oka, I was looking for somebody, and told me that they gave me, let some papers for me to sign at the, the, um, the College of Medicine there. So I went there, so not that the lady that had the papers had gone to, that she's doing a part-time program, and she had an exam that day, so she had gone to the main campus. So I came to the main campus to look for her, so she was in an exam hall, so I talked to them, they were about to start an exam, but she, but she left a message that she would keep, no, we talked on the phone, that she said that she would keep it for me, I should just try and locate the hall she would be in. So I got there. So I walked into the exam hall. There were a lot of students. And one lady walked up, looked at me, looked at me. She said, please, sir, are you Pastor Banky? No, when I came out, she ran out quickly. I said, yes. She said, it's like if today I have seen my God. <laughs> now, you see where I'm going? This was all was going on when my mother said that, Banky, your mates are building houses. So I asked her, how many of them are teaching the way of success? Being the name of our radio program. How many? After these experiences, you think who's building a house matters to me? I said, how many of them are teaching the way of success? How many of them are teaching the word of God on radio? How many of them did somebody see? Said, today I have seen God. I went to preach an old past revival one day. They had the men's program. I finished teaching. One man came to me. He said, now I understand how the disciples felt you know, listening directly to Jesus Christ. That was what he told me. He said, until today, I never understood what that meant. So after I listened to you today, I know how they felt. He said, no wonder they said he taught as one having authority. And that day I spoke. When I introduced my message, I said, you people are giving me a topic I know nothing about. I still remember, I still have, at this in our collection. I think so. I said, what I, I saw the topic. I said, which kind of topic with this one? So I went there, I said, guys, excuse me, men, it was a men's program. I said, give me a topic that I can't make sense out of. So I'm just going to try my best to say one or two things. A man came to me afterwards and said, now I have had the same experience Peter, James, and John had sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to words. That was why I answered my mother that day. I said, those who the Lord has sent to build houses, they should be building. I still remember my posture that day. I was lying down on the bed when she came in. I just, without, you know, <laughs> I didn't even think about it. I said, how many of them 
So your mates are living in their own houses now. So? How has that affected the life of their neighbor? Once you asked me, how far will your private practice? I'm a pathologist by training. I used to have a private practice those days in pathology. So I closed it down many years ago. This was not, not even now. I said, that one, oh, I've shut it down. She said, why? I mean, private practice where <laughs> doctors make some extra, extra money. I said, I've shut it down. I said, why? I said, um, ministry work takes most of my time. So that I still work in the university and teaching hospital there. I mean, I don't have a lot of time for other things. So I had to shut that down so I'll have time, especially for my ministry work. She said, but ministry doesn't pay you money. She was being honest. And I still remember the answer I gave. You know, I speak with my mother in Europe. You know, we, we both speak the language. But I don't speak Yoruba very well anymore because uh, that is to converse. All right? You, if you want to do the language you speak well, check the one you used to pray. <laughs> so, so I'm talking with my mom. I do both of them, you know. I do Yoruba mixed, you know, the normal mixture of native tongue with English. But when I want to explain myself well, as you, when you know matter is serious, I switch completely to English. That day when she said, your maids are, building, are living in their own houses now, I answered in English, how many of them, mommy, are teaching the word of God on radio? the way of success. This particular day when she said it, that uh, but ministry is not paying you money. The only answer I could give, I said, will we say that because it is not paying, will we abandon the reason that God gave me life? I said, listen, mommy, this was why he allowed you to conceive me and I did not die at birth. Of course, my mother is a Christian. She said, it is true. I said, yes, it is very, very true. That's all we are preaching. Nobody is, look, listen, you can quit you where you want. And the one that makes me laugh is people want to say, look, it's very common. Again, please pardon me because I'm a preacher, but remember these things don't apply to preachers alone. It applies to everybody. I believe that on the average, we are less than 10% of the body of Christ that are supposed to be in what we call fivefold ministry preachers. I believe we are just about less than 10%. That's what I think. It's my own estimate and I have my reasons for thinking so. But it applies to everybody. There are people that God said, get a job in a primary school, a secondary school. He won't say it like that. What he will just have to do is that you will just get a job there. And then you will stay there. And then we say, they are not paying too much. They are not paying too much. Each day he will give you reasons to stay. And the only reason you will have to leave is the pay. And once it's like that, you know you are walking out of the will of God if you leave. If the only reason is that money matter, you are missing God. That's our brother Sunday came the other day. He was teaching in secondary school where he served in Anambra. And he got a job in a bank. He had gotten the job, not as per plan. He had gotten the job. Then he walked in here, sat down, and picked the book, Don't Quit the Army, read the back. And he abandoned the job he just got to the first bank. Why? Because God just made it clear to him, this is where you are useful now. That's what we are saying. This is where you are useful now. Sometimes I see people abandon usefulness for uselessness. I can't understand it. Let me tell you something about money. It is the same thing Satan has been using for a long time. He doesn't have many things in his armamentarium to use to deceive Christians. It's what shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? That is what he's still using till today. 
And then they added the last, you know, Christians. Let me say something to you. When people want to deceive, <laughs> want you to miss God, you know what we normally add? Emotional things like the future of the children. Because you can't tell Christians, you need better houses, they won't listen. You need better clothes, they will not listen. You need a fatter bank account. They've learned enough not to, you know, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. So Satan said, what else? Tell them to start worrying about their, about their children. He said, okay, what about the future of my children? There's a story I've told before. A friend of mine, it's very interesting. Let me say something about Christ Jesus. <laughs> one day one of our sisters posted some, you know, little things that children have said. Posted a number of them. Some of them were so funny. One, one child wrote, the children were supposed to write to God <laughs> anything they wanted. Question they wanted to ask God. One said, God, how come they say you are jealous? Is that not a bad thing? <laughs> he said, what can, who can you be jealous of? What else do you want? <laughs> What don't you have that your neighbor has? <laughs> what are you jealous of? Now, why am I talking about that? When the Bible says God is jealous, believe it too. He's very jealous. God's jealousy is very bad. When I say bad, now, I don't mean morally bad, but it's intense. If you loved your husband more than you love the Lord, he will kill him. Why? Somebody's taking his wife. You know, I don't pre- preach nice, nice gospel. You know, I, t- I warned you. That's why God kept Kingdom World Ministry for a long time on top floor of a building like this. By the time you get here, <laughs> you are panting. You really came to hear something. <laughs> you get to my point. If you're on gr- ground floor in one nice, big, well-air-conditioned hall, you-, you came to rest. Nobody comes to Kingdom World to rest. Because the little energy you have remaining will sap it in your climbing up. And on hot days, was it Tuesday? The last one that we suffered here it was Tuesday. You know, I was deceiving myself that this AC was working. It was when I finished preaching. I said, well, how why did I set sweat like this? That's why the AC was not working throughout. And everybody stayed sweating and hearing the gospel. So, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a nice preacher. I'm not trying to massage anybody. I like to tell people the truth. The jealousy of God is like that. You must have no other God before me. You can look at it different ways. What it means is that nobody must stand in front of you before you can see me. Sometimes I see people, and I told you I used to jog too. Nothing against jogging. No. Jogging is a good thing, amen? If you can jog, jog. You are the one that knows the sin you committed, but you can jog, jog. <laughs> nothing wrong about it. Nothing wrong. <laughs> you say, we see, hey, you're running to and fro. I don't have any problem. I used to do it too. I used to do it. And I think it's good. I'm like, it's, on a scale of zero to hundred, zero being totally worthless, hundred being perfectly godly, perfect goodness, Jogging is good. It's, an, it's cost like one or two. It's not bad. Better than nothing. <laughs> it's not more than one or two. Trust me. Shaking your, the fr- hand of your friends. Hey, my guy, what's happening? Makes you live longer than jogging. That's not joke. That's not the joke. That's scientifically proven. Giving your wife a hug in the morning. Say, baby, I love you. Has, it's like you have jogged 20 kilometers. In the health health benefit. So let's not, let's not deceive ourselves. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. So, and then when you hug your wife, there's no traffic, there's no risk of road traffic accident inside the house. 
So anyway, nothing wrong with jogging. All right, jogging is okay. It's better than nothing, but it won't prolong your life. That's what I just wanted to say. It's good to jog. I like to keep fit. I don't like to climb up here and be panting when I reach the top. So occasionally, it's good to exercise yourself. All right. So I used to do it. That's why I'm thinking of this. I just want all of you that jog. People like this man here that run all over town. Let him feel good with himself. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. I used to do it too. And if God gives me the opportunity, I will still do it. One major reason I stopped that time was that the only time I could do it was the best time for studying the word and praying. That's the only reason I stopped. There's no other reason. I'm not the type that can run in the afternoon. I, I, I'm so self I feel like everybody's wondering why, why I'm jobless. Are you getting my point? <laughs> yeah, really. That's just me. As if, you know, <clears throat> 9 o'clock in the morning, they run around for us. I'm like, don't you feel jobless? Are you at 9 o'clock? Where's your money coming from? You know that kind of thing. That, that's, so I feel, if I'm running around at such times, like I see everybody's walking and say, hey, this man has nothing he's doing. <laughs> I'm not saying it's true. That's just how I feel. I have some funny feelings, all right? So I like to come out early, 5 o'clock, all right? Run, run by 6, past 6, I'm back in the house. I leave the house past 5. Usually, everything takes me about one hour. I'm back in the house. I did it for some time, at least three, four times a week. I was doing it fairly consistently. Until one day I asked myself, Banky, what is wrong with your head? What is the best time of the day to pray? What's the best time of the day to study? Is that not the time? And you are jogging. I told the Lord, I'm sorry. See, it's my personal revelation. It will not be a personal revelation. You, your best time of the day to study and pray is 2 p.m. Fine. But me, that was the day I stopped. I said I will jog. But anytime I wake up, I say, Banky, use this one hour. Go to First Thessalonians, you know, First Thessalonians and you know, just the whole book. Read Hebrews 4, 1, 2, 2. At least get to chapter 6 in one hour. This is not bragging. What I'm about to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Hmm? When it comes to writing, I am skilled. I'm anointed, not skilled. I have an unction. People transcribe books for people. I've re- now I have almost 20 published. There's not one somebody transcribed for me. Everyone I sit down. Yesterday I finished a book. I told my wife, this is surprising. I realized I opened the first line sometime in December. I started writing it about two weeks ago. It's done today. You'll see by sometime next month. Then I kick another one off. So I ask myself, that time of the day, ah, I say, no, it's not good. It's not the will of God concerning thee. No. Go to, if you read tracks like, this is faith. I wrote it at the sitting. I just sat down. Have you ever heard of the spirit of faith? Someone, they, my children would look and say, ah, daddy, you know, you type fast too. I said, that's what ministry does to you. You do all kinds of things. I never knew anything about typing until I began to write. Our first five tracks, I wrote with pen. After that, I started typing. So, nothing wrong with Jordan and Nothing wrong. But I just realized I had better things to do with the time, only time I can jog. I'm talking about God's jealousy. And you know what? If I didn't discover that, be jogging. Just be jogging first. Jesus is not a play. It's as a banker, I'm warning you. To him, it's as if you catch your wife kissing another man. Now, so that's how God, that's how he feels. So. Jealous for his time. Jealous for your life. Jealous about everything. He does not, that is, this is why you can't love your wife more than you love him. 
No, the girl is going to fall sick. Unless she has faith by herself to keep herself. Because you, see, you must understand the way life is. Look, oh, I'm giving African proverbs. No African proverbs said that if you don't eat yam because of oil, you eat oil because of yam. It's very spiritual. So, look, go and check David. Israel was blessed because of David. When he was going to war, and they almost killed him, he said, let the light of Israel be quenched. They had to pull him out of battle. Because Israel, David was a blessing to Israel. I used to wonder, why would God kill 70,000 people because one man sinned in his palace and his household was not affected? Even he complained. And said, God, what about these children? Why? For a long time I wondered until I understood what God was saying. Those 70,000 were not blessed in themselves. Their survivor, their blessing was dependent on you. You are the reason they are blessed. So when you sinned, you cut off the blessing into their lives. So, many of the descendants of David did things that demanded they should have been killed quickly. And their kingdoms ended. And when God wants to judge them, he will say, the Bible says, he remembered their father David. And for the sake of his David, or because for the sake of David, many of his erring sons survived. That's what I mean when I'm saying that. There are times. And that's why God joined us together seriously. God wants to bless people. Say this guy by himself. What is worthy of his killing? He's not even doing anything. So he joins him to a group of people that are blessed. I'm not talking about financially blessed though. Spiritually. God just say, just contribute something into the community. It could be goodwill, presence, you know, handshakes, laughter. So for that reason, the fellow is blessed. That's why it is in marriage also. A woman can be the reason why the husband is blessed. And a man can be the reason why the woman is blessed. Ken Higgins said the day he dedicated himself to following God's plan completely for his life, the lump in his wife's breast disappeared. He's a preacher. He's the one that says, now, Lord, I will follow what I'm supposed to do next. Then they were worshipping one day. They suddenly she had a feeling. She had had two lumps in her breast. They prayed, joined hands, rebuked them. One left. The other one was growing. And it was growing. They kept on believing God. The thing kept on growing. And after that encounter, in which I've forgotten the exact um, adjustment he had to make with following God's plan for his life. They were just in choice. Suddenly the woman had a feeling. She left, went to go and check herself. Phew! The lump was gone. That's what I'm trying to say. So, when I say that some, a woman can force it because the husband loves her more than he loves God. I'm not joking about that. God is a jealous. You know what they call jealous? That's, look, he's a, and he, you know, his jealousy is so much, he commands the rest of us who have no, there's no jealousy remaining. He's the only one allowed to be jealous on this earth. Jealousy now becomes a sin for the rest of us. Because God has collected all the jealousy. He's jealous over your life. That's what I'm talking about. He loves you. He loves you more than anybody can. And you can't love anybody else as much as you love him. You see what I'm telling the story in the moment? Talking about why we are important. God does nothing without us. And he doesn't play about these things. A friend of mine came to me once. He said, I was living and I was going abroad. We're childhood friends. No. Boys growing up together. No stuff like that. And then even into teenage years, 
He used to gather, play ball and all of that. But he went to university, studied. They went back to universities to study medicine as a second degree. Then one day he came to see me after I graduated. At that time I was working in Luz. I was a resident doctor. So we're not discussing. Say he's going abroad. What's happening? He told me whether I knew one of his sisters had an issue that would need major surgery later. The problem in the heart. I said I was not aware. He said she would have to have surgery. That somebody has to come up with the money. He told me everything that, look, he can't, that, look, he said, I'm lucky now that I've gone a bit far, that he's still far behind and all of that. He said many things to me that day. All of it on why he needs to go get money so as to help his family. Do you know the truth? That day after he left, I started crying. Why was I crying? It was because I realized how foolish I was. In quote, how selfish I have been. How old is my will of God, will of God? I've been thinking only about me. Look at this guy, very nice. He's not thinking about himself. What does he need money for? He's thinking about his father, his mother, his brothers, his sisters. How he needs money to help them. And so he has to go and get the money. I felt stupid. I said, will of God, will of God, bank. Plan of God, plan of God, bank. Did you think of your younger ones? Did you think of your parents? Both of my parents are men, civil servants. So not that they are rich people. Did you think of them? How much money they will need in the family later on? You just did here, will of God. And I won't lie to you. That time, eh, I could read Bible. I'm not kidding. I used to read Bible all the time. If I read Bible as much as I used to read that time, my anointing will increase. I think I should start again. Recently, my wife has gotten this, this, this spirit that has possessed her. She has filled the whole house with books and prayer and everything. So I told her, baby, I will join. I'm not, if you enter our room now, eh? books everywhere. If you fall down, you can't hit the floor in my house. You hit the book <laughs> in my bedroom. Books everywhere. That and that was all I read. My wife would tell when she met me, she had teaching so much she was tired. One day I told her, let me share. She said, I don't want to hear. I was surprised. Ah, why don't you want to hear the gospel? She said, don't you have any other thing to say? <laughs> Pastor Corey will give you a story. In fact, when he tells me, I can't even remember. He said that this man, that one day I punished him. How did I punish you? They came to see me in Lagos. As soon as I saw him, I was so happy. I brought out the Bible. I started showing the things I've been learning. And he had not eaten. <laughs> I said, I can't remember. Ah, he said he has never forgotten that day. And he couldn't talk. That I was there explaining, going from Philippians to Colossia and talk, talk. He was looking like, bros, I never talked. <laughs> he, he, he tells the story. You know, he has told me that thing many times. How I punished him. He traveled, got to my place. I was there preaching the gospel. And he was just, yeah, amen, amen. <laughs> that day, <laughs> when my, my friend finished talking, I felt bad. And I cried a day. I'm not joking. When I say cry, I mean I was weeping. That how could you be so stupid? The plan of God, God has a plan for you, God has a plan. Why don't you think your father, your mother, your brothers, your, your brother, your sisters, relatives? Ah! People, I cried though. And I laid down on my bed. I know Jesus is alive. Somebody say amen. I've told you before, God is not a nice guy. Jesus is not a nice guy. No, Holy Spirit is not nice at all. This fine, fine gospel, God doesn't want you to feel pain, is a lie. 
He doesn't like, he doesn't enjoy it, but if you misbehave, he flogs you until you feel pain. And I always tell parents, if you want to flog children, flog children. If you don't want to flog them, leave the matter. But if you want to flog a child, you must feel the pain. What is flogging about if there's no pain inside? Doesn't mean you will injure the person. God gives strategic areas where a child can never be injured. Back of the legs, bum bum number one. Is God. It's not a nice person. It's a lo- there's a difference between love and nice. Love knows when to apply discipline. Then when you have cried well and you have repented, it gives you ice cream. And tomorrow you do it again. It does it again. Why am I saying all of this? If you think the Lord came to me and said, Banky, don't worry. It shall be okay. He didn't do anything like that. I laid down that day and I heard the thoughts strong. The voice of the Holy Spirit arise in my heart. He said only one thing. Except a man hates his father and his mother and his brother and his sister, he can't be my disciple. That was the only answer he gave this guy. All that my crying was my own. If you want to cry some more, add it. But except a man hates his father and his mother, his brothers, his sisters, his relatives, his entire family, he cannot be my disciple. So make up your mind. You want to go abroad, go and look for money and feed your family? Have fun. Let me find somebody else who's ready to walk with me. A man came to Jesus. He said, I will follow you. But you know what? Let me first go and bury my father. It's not like his father was dead and the father was in the mortuary. What he meant is that my father is old. Let me take care of him. When he's dead, I will have no more responsibilities. Then I can come and follow you. Jesus said, don't worry about it. You have to make a choice. Either you let the dead bury their dead, or you understand something. No one who wants to follow me, who puts his hand on his plow and looks back, is worthy of the kingdom. Jesus is not, that's what I mean when I say it's not nice. That's what I mean. A normal nice person would have said, this is my word to you, Banky. Don't worry about it. Money shall come to you. No. I remember that very well. Since that time, so I'm telling you, I was about 97, 97, 98, and I spoke to that guy for the first time since that time, I think 2017 or early 2018. Still abroad. But he said, that, I, I can't forget that day. And when the Lord tells you that, you know what it means? Oh boy, clean your eyes and forget that thing. No pity party here. As I'm talking about his jealousy, he will be offended and I will be punished. If, listen, we think that grace means that we do what we like, you know, he's a nice guy. No, it's not so. When he made that demand, he made that demand. You know what Oswald Chamber said? He said, discipleship is not what it costs you as a person. He said, it's what it costs the people that you love. Because he understands that true disciples easily get used to pain. I know the truth. Those who know how to torture. When they want to torture you, you know, all these political things, when they let this man, he's standing for righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. There's nothing you can do to you. You can't threaten him with death. So they threaten his children. Most men fall there. So as what Chambers said, discipleship is not what it costs you as a person. It's what it costs the people that you love. That Mary, with every experience he had, one day they told her, your son has gone mad. So the relatives gathered. 
You know, the relatives were Catholics. They believed that whatever you ask him, he will do. So they dragged poor old Mary out to go and meet Jesus. When they got there, the meeting was going on, it was full. They couldn't get in, so they said, okay, go and tell him that his brothers are here. We didn't come alone, we came with his mother. Once you tell his mother, he would do anything. He did not read that part of the catechism. My mother asked me for something. <laughs> he laughed. They said, your mother is looking for you. Your mother is looking for you. He said, you know what she said? What he said? If she's really my mother, she should come and take a chair in front and sit down. That's the summary of it. That prove you are my mother. Say, you are brothers. You are my brothers. Prove you are my brothers. How do you prove it? Come here, sit down, and listen to what I'm teaching. He said, who are my brothers? Who is my mother? Said those who hear these words that I'm speaking and do them. Said the same is my mother, the same is my brother, the same is my sister. You know, Mary that day looked at the, looked at all the brothers of Jesus. James was one of them that time before he gave his life to Christ. Said if, if all of you call me again, because he, suddenly she said, "Look at insults. Look at what all of you have turned me to." Me that I saw the angel, Gabriel. I'm not here to drag him away from his mission. That's what I'm talking about. They wanted to use their emotions, relatives, to, tr- to drag him away from his mission. Think about your father. Think about your mother. The hope they have in you. Who else will build the house in the village? Even though we know Jesus will destroy it when he comes back. But let's build it first. So people abandon the very the most important things of, of, of their lives because they don't want to hurt somebody. That's why I mean that Jesus is very jealous. If you love your father, obey Jesus. If you love your mother, obey him. If you love your children, if you love your children, obey him. There are things he doesn't take. No, he doesn't accept it. He does not accept it. What am I saying all of these things? We are needed. He planned it. Uh, that day, you know, I look back now. I said, God, thank you. Thank you. Because what do I want to look back and say that I will have achieved for those, my so-called, you know, for my so-called family. Sometimes, you know, things he didn't plan for. Oh, no. One day my brother was eating in Asaba. People gathered to see him. Somebody said, that's Pastor Bangalore. Are you serious? Went and called another person. They were whispering, that's him, that's him. His younger brother to Pastor Banky. You know the truth I found out? He loves them more than I can ever imagine loving anybody. Not, I'm talking about how much I love them. No. My ability to love anybody, the Lord loves them more than that. What am I emphasizing? We are precious. We are important. We are trained. We are specially prepared. He put in a lot of resources. Remember that underwater world that I'm talking about? He said, go and weld underwater. It took me years to prepare you. If you notice, most of your friends, they are afraid of water. You are not afraid of water. Why? Because I put a spirit that's not afraid of water in you. Have you noticed that those when you used to play as children, everybody could hold their breath for 15, 20 seconds if they pushed it. But you, you were doing one minute without much effort. It's called each one having grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Did you notice that? He said yes. Notice that when you went to the underwater world in school, you performed very well. 
because you have some natural skills. You swam with ease. You were diving with ease. And that's why I prepared you so that multitudes can cross that river and not having to kill on the other old bridge. You know, that's an illustration. That's the reason. And I know what I am doing. I know what I'm doing. That's what he's saying. That each one of you is precious. And Satan knows. He knows. And when he knows, let me tell you something. Satan is a good businessman. Every spiritual being, you know, they are good business people. If they offer you 1,000 naira for something, hmm, you think it's worth more than 1,000. You know, the kingdom of God is as if a merchant sees a pearl of great price. And he goes to do what? Sell all that he has and buys it. Why? He knows it is worth more than all that he has. In the same manner, if Satan offers you $10 billion, he's not a fool. He knows that whatever be the true value of that $10 billion, you are worth much more than that. I don't know whether you get my point. Many times we are the ones that don't understand our true value. The merchant that bought the, 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 the pile of great price, did he not buy it from somebody? Did he not buy it from somebody? But the person did not know the value. One that was digging on somebody else's land, and he found it there, quickly covered it back, and he went and sold all he had to buy the land. Did he not buy the land from somebody? Why did they sell? They did not know the true value. What am I teaching? One major reason why Christians cheapen themselves and, you know, run up and down because of money is that they don't know true value. One, they don't know the things that really matter in life. That's one. Number two, they don't know how valuable they are in the plan of God. They don't understand it. I started to this message by explaining that that man said to her brother, if you have nothing to offer, you can go anywhere. If you don't have anything to offer the country, go to another one. But I'm asking Christians, don't live your life like you have nothing to offer. There is plenty to be offered and God has taken some of that plenty that is needed and kept inside you. And Satan is struggling every day to ensure you don't offer it. You don't discover the treasure. You don't release the gift. No wonder Jesus said, beware of covetousness. That is, there's nothing else that can take the people of God away from the plan of God for their lives. Apart from we want money and we want security. Those two things, they're slightly different. But those are the two things we look for. We want our, where our children will be safe. I said the last time, you must understand something. God is very fair. He's very, very, very fair. If they contend with them in battle, if you don't contend, I've given you the land. Are you getting my point? That's what I told Israel. Now start contending. That is, even though I've given you the land, show to me you want the land too. So how do you do? You get up and go and contend. So if you see war and you run, and you run away, even though I've given you the land, you will not be able to take it. What am I talking about? We want the country, right? We Christians. You know, we do mouth evangelism. We do it. Mouth. We want to just secure heaven for ourselves and say, God, I brought four souls to you. I hope you know you can't take any soul to him. No, I've said, naked you came, naked you are going alone. That's what they want Joe for God to add. You ain't carrying anybody with you. Have you ever seen any... Some, we create some doctrines. Have you ever seen anywhere in the Bible, somebody died, he said, these are the souls I want for the Lord. Soul winning is good. I'm not saying it's bad. 
But the one God has said you should do is preach, not win souls. What I mean is this. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's job. Paul planted. Apollos watered. God won the souls. Hey, are you getting my point? So what I'm going to say is that people sometimes they lay emphasis on things that don't matter. You know, you know like, uh, uh, so they, are, they will do it to evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. They are not doing it for the love of the soul. They are not doing it for the love of the will of God. They are doing it so that my mansion in heaven will be big. Which is the reason why they won't get anything. I've told you anything you are doing for what you are going to get, you get nothing. So Christians can do evangelism. But the same people, their own children must never do it. They will go to the jungle. But if their children say, I'm going to the jungle, family meeting. So you want the land, that's what I'm talking about it. You want this earth to win it for Christ, not for yourself. So contend, the Lord says, but you don't like battle. God said, you know the people I've seen that like battle? What you call fundamental Muslims. They will train their own children to die for the cause of jihadist glory. But you know Christians will train their own children. I've suffered for you people so that you don't have to suffer. We behave like sometimes we don't think with our brain anymore. We have even forgotten our spinal cord. We now think with a few fibers remaining in what anatomy is called corda equina. Go and ask Medical people, what that means? Not it means this is the tip of the tail of the spinal cord. That's where fibers move down to your legs. That's what we used to think. You see, we're saying that ah, I'm carrying my children abroad where they can be, you know, can do well. The same mugu is making money from Nigeria to take care of them there. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He will sweat in Nigeria, change it to forex. And used to hide children. I said, if now, so you go there and walk there now. Let me tell you something. No, listen. I'm not, I don't preach to unbelievers though. So the life of an unbeliever is not my business. I'm talking to Christians. Be very careful the seeds of unbelief you are sown into the realm of the spirit. Don't injure these children. Some of them will not be able to prosper in life until they deny their fathers. Because of the wrong unbelieving seed. This rubbish seed that the Christians have planted for their children. When I say deny their fathers now, I don't mean they will, they will dishonor them. They just tell the man straight, listen, me and you are not facing the same direction. We are not going the same way. We are not even bearing the same name anymore. An angel appeared to me and said, from now on, my name is Obadiah. <laughs> it's true. I know what I'm telling you. When I say God lacks people, that's what I mean. He lacks. Listen, you know what I'm telling you? God is fair. I've given you the land, contend in battle. If you're not willing to contend, I give to those who are willing. Even though they are not my first choice, they can have it. And I can assure you that's one major reason why Islam advances in certain areas. When I went to Sokoto, was it 2017 or last year? One of the ministers there, he gave me a testimony. This Boko Haram, Boko Haram crisis, you know, Sokoto is northwest, right? You know, it was not so strong there. It came there, you know, it came there. Bomb blast. There was on the police headquarters. There were some white men kidnapped in Kaduna. They were taken to Sokoto. When DSS found them, one of the men escaped. So that found them in Kaduna. One of the men escaped and then they killed the white men in, but it was in Sokoto that happened. So that, they came. Boko Haram tried. But the men, the people of God, they gathered. The pastors started meeting regularly. They were praying. My friend, Pastor Craig was PFN chairman that time for the state. They began to pray. Make a long story short. The Lord released prophetic words for them to let them know that they will be safe. 
to let them know that those people will not be able to hide in that land and that he will make the land hot for them. So every time they came, God exposed them. The PFN, last time I went, the PFN chairman that time was giving me the testimony that the command, the army commander there said that how we used to discover them is mysterious. That was a testimony of the military commander. That the way we used to find them out, alright, is mysterious. He told a story of how he just sent some men to go for patrol, about three or four, two, between two and four soldiers, about three or four. And that they were just going on their own, just, you know, they were just moving around. You didn't, you were not expecting trouble. Then suddenly they began to take gunfire. Ah, where's gunfire coming from? So of course they ducked and found where the gunfire was coming from and radioed their bosses. See what's going on here. What, what, what do you think? They gave information. Those ones arrived with bigger weapons and leveled the building. Only to find out that insurgents had been stockpiling arms in that place. And they thought that the soldiers saw them. Not knowing that the soldiers were just going on their own routine patrol. That was not the first one. And there were several like that. The man said, the way we used to discover them is mysterious. You know, God, his people are cried to him. Now, this is where I'm going with the story. So a few times they come, God will push them back. The manifestation soldiers will discover them and wipe them out. The battle kept on going like that. Like, so that's the rest of the country. What do we hear? They're just quiet in that area. This Boko Haram thing, we just, just, just quiet on that side. But northeast, you know the story now. People can give you all kinds of analysis of why it's like that. But the truth is that these are spiritually determined things. So those men, another, this, another brother then, the, one, the first one I mentioned, was not telling me one day. He said, so they wondered amongst themselves. What happened in the northeast? How come what we are experiencing here did not happen there? And this was the answer one of them gave. He said, apparently, the people that God planted there ran away. The reason, God said, if I find ten righteous, no, that's what he said. The Lord said, if I find how many? Ten righteous, I will spare the land. But before that day, all the righteous he wanted to count, they had gone to Abuja. They are located to Kaduna. They have moved down to Kano. They have moved to Lagos. Some came to Enugu, actually. I'm just imagining it. That you know it's more peaceful here. So they removed God's reason for preserving that land. So trouble erupted. So you can imagine how foolish the council has been. When people will meet my friend, Pastor Courage, and say that, what are you still doing there? When are you coming down? And he used to say, what you say I should run from, we come and meet you when I come down. That you don't understand. That God needs people to keep some things back. So one day crisis was coming. Last elections. They said send your children down. They said come down. They said I can't. I'm a pastor of a church. They said send your children down. They said what about the other children in the church? You don't know my church members also have children. They said just send your wife and your children. They said there's no problem. The people talking to him volunteer tickets. So they were not swimming with mouth. We'll send the flight tickets. He says, send enough flight tickets for every wife and every child in the church and welcome. But I'm a pastor of a church. I'm sorry. Do you know? I read a book. All right. Ah, forgotten the name of the book now. Okay. It was describing the book that made your world. Something like that. In the influence of the Bible on modern civilization. In the book, the man described how, you know, okay. The book is about how the Bible shaped modern civilization. But one of the testimonies he gave in that book was when 
His life was serious. This is in India. His life was seriously in danger. He was being threatened by local gangs and the warlords and all of that, you know. All these criminals that call themselves big men in rural areas. So everybody said to him, you need to move. He said, no, I have work to do for God here. I can't go. So they said, okay, send your wife so that she will be safe. He said, all right, what I'll do is that let me allow her make that decision. So he discussed with his wife and everything. He said, but I don't want to give you an instruction to go or to stay. So please, you pray about it. So the wife took a few days and said, whatever God has joined together, <laughs> threats to life will not put us under. We will stay. I will stay. He said something happened. You know, God works in different ways. Okay? This is their circumstance there, that time. There are some American women, all these aid workers, but they were mostly women. They wanted to come and help him. So they gave themselves a test. If his wife stays, we will come. But if she leaves, we too will not, will not come. We will, we will stay away. So he did not know this. So when did Jesus spread that this our missionary is staying in that dangerous area and his wife is staying? So you know what they all did? They packed themselves and appeared that we have come to help you. And when the bandits and the troublemakers and all the criminals saw it, you know what they said? America wants to trap us. They are looking for an excuse to invade. They have sent us their agents. They don't mind them. They are disguising like they are normal women. They are not. Oh, they are American agents. They kept away. This is how God organized deliverance. <laughs> so those ones are looking at those women that came and said, hey, I beg you, I don't want American trouble. Now so drunk will begin land for your roof. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know when America wants to bomb places. <laughs> you just be going on the road. You just realize that I was here just now. When did I die? A draw will have released. <laughs> I mean, you won't see anything. One plane hanging somewhere. No human. Just release one missile. Phew. Blow the place up. So those ones, they feared and left the man alone. God indeed works in mysterious ways. He's wonders to perform. But guess what? He couldn't do that until he had the man who was ready to stake his life on the line so that the gospel and the truth can liberate the people in that environment. I said, God is fair. So he said, what he's saying is that I want Christians who want to take the land. They want it. They want to say, ah, there are different countries, African countries. I've seen African countries, African countries, they need the gospel. I don't mean that they need somebody to go there and preach the gospel. I mean they need the gospel alive in somebody amongst them. One of the most, one of the richest countries materially on this earth is also one of the poorest countries materially. So what do you mean? Yeah, I said that deliberately, so it will be confusing. So you won't understand until I say it, until I explain it. That makes you pay attention. That's DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Two and a half, ti- two and a half times the size of Nigeria. Landmass. Yes, I've checked that. Population, is it about how many millions? 80 million, I'm not sure now. But not half of that of Nigeria. When I say richest, without, there's what they call rare earth. What do you mean by rare earth? Are those, the iron, the, the ores, metal ores, that you get in very few countries in the world. 
like the one from which you make lithium. Without lithium, there's no mobile phone, and it's not the small, slim ones you carry around. There's no tab. Computers you carry up and down. Lithium is what makes the power easy. And definitely without lithium, currently there's no electric car. Very few countries on this earth have lithium. Congo has. There's another one, I've forgotten the name now, without which there is no mobile phone, only Congo has. There are some rare earths there. Apart from rare earths, they now have the plenty earth. Iron ore all over the place, copper, you know, bauxite, for aluminum, everything all over the place. They have everything. But they are one of the poorest countries. Poverty is spiritual. It's not whether you have or you don't have all. You say, for all the oil they have in Nigeria, you know that is a lie. We don't have plenty. We're almost 200 million people. How much oil is there? You know, the way they make noise, Nigeria has a lot of oil. Why are we still suffering? Say, my friend, be quiet. Saudi has more oil. So please don't be making noise. Our wealth is not in, in this country. The wealth is not oil. The oil is not plenty. It's not. Look, 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 look. It's not. It's not. The wealth, that's not the wealth. So it's not material. All those things, that's not the wealth. That's not the wealth. And that's how come Singapore doesn't have any one of it. And it's still rich. The person who has analyzed Nigeria's wealth the best in physical terms is this guy, Strive Masiwa. And he described the amount of brain that's available in Nigeria. And that brother, the other day, analyzed the amount of consumer market available. He said, this is a rich country. But let's not talk physical things. Let's talk the spiritual. Except somebody goes to a place like the Congo and preaches the word. No matter the amount of physical wealth you see, that is, iron ore, you know, all those ore, ore things, earth, you know, things you can mine, the country cannot be rich. Because true wealth is spiritually determined. I hope you're getting my point here. And listen, I'm convinced that God wants to bless all the people, not only in this country, but this whole continent. Beyond this continent anyway, but let me just focus on this continent. But he said, I can't do that until I find people who will get up and take the light there. Somebody has to shine light. Somebody has to shine the light of God. It doesn't shine itself. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. When he said that, what it literally means, you are the light bearers. There is light, but somebody has to bear the light to the place. What am I preaching this season? That God needs people. We Christians, you understand that we are the ones that God needs. And we cannot be focused on how to sustain ourselves without first focusing on how we are to shine the light of God where that light is needed. You want to make a decision to go somewhere? Please, think like a man, like a woman on assignment. You will not be blessed. Listen to this, I'm not kidding. Not a curse. You will not be blessed looking for where somebody will take care of you. You can't be blessed like that, looking for where somebody will take care of you. It doesn't work. One will say we are the head and not the tail. Not just a song we sing. Not just something we quote. It's the way we live our lives. You know what Paul said about the gospel? About his ministry? He said, I don't like going to preach where other people have done it already. I don't know what I hear what I said. Paul said, this is how I, I do my thing. If I find that this area, an apostle had come there, preached, taught them the word, done miracles, and all of that, I don't like going there. He wasn't being pompous. You know what he was saying? Then I'm not needed. I don't know whether I get my point. You can send Apollos to that place. You can send some other men. 
And no one guy, it teaches very well. Because there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. He said, find pastors and teachers to send there. If you want me to go, show me where they know nothing. Where they have never encountered the light of God. That is where my light can shine. Yes, I, there are times I can teach, I can write letters, I can pay people visits. But when we want to go and work, I like it where they know nothing. Is it the attitude? Is it the attitude? He wasn't a gluten for punishment. He just understood what he carried. He said, if you carry a normal pastor teacher, send him there. He can't walk. Foundations are laid by the apostles and prophets. We are the ones that go and break up the bush, uproot it, start tilling the ground. Say, so when we have done that, then these other men can come and plant their seeds. We can plant seed. It's not as if we can't. But we have so much equipment that it will be a waste if I go to other people have done all the work. Not tell me to come and do the little. That's what Paul was saying. It wasn't being arrogant. It wasn't being pompous. But there's an attitude in it that we Christians should have. You should be reluctant to go to where you can't make any difference. You're not angry. If it comes to that, we'll go. Are you getting my point? But generally, the attitude is that, mm, mm. is there nothing else? Is there nowhere else? Where can we develop? Where can we offer the gift of God inside us? We are soldiers. We are winners. Listen, let me say something to you. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. I know what he said after that. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what that means? Let me tell you what it means simply. It means the church has to keep advancing. That Jesus has promised that anywhere we deliberately advance to, we will take over. I don't know whether you heard me right. When I was a child, this was how I understood, this was how I understood it. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. So unconsciously, you thought prevail, because you use the word prevail, the gates, the gates of hell will be attacking and the church will stand its ground. But Jesus never said so. He said gates, gates were built for defense. So when Jesus made that statement, he assumed that the church is attacking. Upon this rock, I will build my church. When I've built the church, it will start moving. And anywhere it gets to, the enemy will lock the gates against it. But I'm promising you that that gate will not hold if the church comes against it. What does that mean? If the church faces northeast, Boko Haram will run away. You hear what I said? The day the church faces the Middle East, Islam will move back. So they have not faced it. We have not. Facing it is work. Facing it is risky, physically speaking. But the day we decide to face it, <laughs> you know what the church is facing? They are facing Israel. Sometimes when, we, when I hear some things we say, we preach about Israel, I get, I get angry because they are not true. The other day I was listening to a message in my room. Thank God for my wife. She's my punching bag in that area. When I get angry, I start looking for her. So where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I get, 
So I said, what this man is saying is not right. I start provoking, like we say. I, I go begin charge for her. I still remember one day. I was very angry. We went for one church service somewhere. And one man took the word of God and murdered it. <laughs> so I was so angry. I went home. Waited for my wife to return. Then I started my punching back thing again. And I remember Akinu was very small that time. Akinu was small, you know, maybe like, was he up to four? Maybe around four, five. At the age of four or five, you know when two people are quarreling, right? You are old enough to know these people are fighting. So I remember he was looking at me, fighting, angry. Then you look at his mother, calm. She entered the kitchen and she was doing something. And the boy was confused, like, oh boy, who are you fighting? Is it not this woman? <laughs> I remember that day very well. You know, he, he was confused, like, what is going on? You look at me. Why? I was angry. I was telling my wife, what kind of nonsense is that? How can he say it like that? Is that what the Bible says? I kept on going. My wife said, well, you know. And she was responding. You know, when she was trying to make food. You know, that's, God will help all of us. I don't know why men of God are doing like this. <laughs> She's the one that I charge for every time I'm angry. So that day I was listening to the message. I got angry again. Sweetheart, where are you? I'm over here. How can he say like this? This is what I dislike. The man said that... Uh, Anybody that does, that does anything against Israel, the nation Israel, God will always end their kingdom. I said, what if I want to do it against the church? How come they don't preach that one to us? I was so angry that day. I said, the most important thing that God is doing on this earth today is not Israel, it is Christ. And anybody that does not preach that doesn't have his message complete. That it is more important to God. That Saudi Arabia is filled with Christians than it is that the temple in Jerusalem be rebuilt. I hope you know that. If there's one Christian in Iran, he's more important to God than the whole of the nation of Israel. Christians, don't, they don't behave like they believe that. You know what God said? Peace be upon what? The Israel of God. That is, God wants the nation of Israel to, to also believe. Um, get my point? He wants them to believe. And he also wants the Syrian to believe. And he wants the Jordanian to believe. And he wants the Saudi to believe. If we get our doctrine right and we face that direction, right now, those people don't hear Christ. They hear supporters of Israel. That's what they hear. I don't know where I get my point. Anytime we get up to talk, we, we are from the coalition. Not to preach Christ to them, but to tell them that except they support the nation of Israel, they will not be blessed. Which is a lie anyway. The Bible says that that promise is to Abraham and to what? His seed. And that is, is not, it didn't say seeds as of many, but seed as of one. And that seed is whom? Christ. If we gather this doctrine correctly, people of God, and we face that place, Saudi Arabia will worship Jesus Christ. That's the word of God. You know why? Because he said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And no gate, even if built by hell, will be able to withstand it when it's moving. That's why I say God needs people. In Nigeria politics, God needs people. In Nigerian police, he needs people. In educational system, he needs people. For road safety, he needs people. Everywhere, he needs people. And I'll talk about it next time. The kind of people he wants. He said, those who are with him are the called, the chosen, and 
the faithful. He needs faithful people. Let's bow down heads to pray. Let's pray. Let's give the Lord thanks for the word that we've heard today. Say, Lord, thank you for liberating word, for the liberating word. For the word that provokes to faithfulness. That's it. Thank you for the word that provokes to faithfulness. Thank you. Say to him again, here I am, send me. Like he said to, to Elijah and to, to Isaiah. Like Isaiah replied him, reply also. He said, who shall I send? Who will go for us? Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Say to him again, here I am, Lord, send me. Just put up one hand or two. Just say to him, Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Lord, will give you praise. Because you have blessed your children with your word today. And I declare upon everyone present here, the Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord will increase you in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord will give you wisdom and understanding in everything you have to do in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, the Lord will manifest his power through your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. You will be a, the answer to somebody's prayer. There are people who are worried you will go as the answer to the prayer that they prayed against that worry. Amen. You are a minister of light. Amen. You are a minister of life Amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The light of Christ will shine through you. Amen. See your hand. Look at your hands. These hands will deliver the healing power of Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the season of the manifestation of the sons of God. These hands, listen, you will, lay, you will see something, oh. One day you will see people crying. Why are they crying? They just diagnosed that daddy has advanced cancer, he's about to die. He said, no, he will not die. And as soon as you say, no, he will not die, the power of God will hit him and he will be well. Amen. A baby that just died, you will carry him and he will come back to life. Amen. You will carry her, she will come back to life. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God is looking for who to shine through. He will find you worthy. Amen. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's share the grace in fellowship. Surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil. Because we are seated high above with Christ. So this is our season of what? All right, let's do one more time. This is our season of? In the name of Jesus. Now give it to three people. This is your season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation. Two more people. This is your season of dominion and manifestation.